The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. And it's on page 1109 for those of you with the Bibles or you can pull up on your phones. Um, Okay. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you for standing. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Um, in the scripture reading today, but this is an embarrassing moment in church history. Um, and, I, and I don't want to say that where it's like um, not uh, honoring to scripture, but if we were really to take a minute and think about the few verses that were read to us today, this is about two men that for the last several chapters have been heroes to everybody else. And they have a shameful moment of conflict, and it's not private. It's not like they went into a back room and had it out. This was a public thing. And, and I wonder how many times, not only knowing that Paul knew so much of the Old Testament, and Barnabas knew so much, and was even the one sent by the Lord to go get Paul out of Tarshish. I mean, Paul was, or Barnabas was asked to do some really special redeeming work in the life of Paul. Um, that there was so much happening that when Paul was writing letters to the church about settling conflict quickly, did he ever feel guilt or shame? Thinking back on this moment. You know, I don't know about you, but a lot of times we've made mistakes in the areas that we've been telling people to grow in. And it's when we re-experience something that we end up taking a few steps back saying, you know what, I'm really not worthy to step out and lead because I've made mistakes in this area. Paul was passionate in his writings about settling disputes and handling conflict. I can't imagine, though, that you know, whether it's a couple weeks down the road or three years from now that Paul found himself sitting there thinking, you know what, I know I need to make things right with Barnabas and John Mark. And we get a picture in the letter of, of, to the, the Philippian church that Paul was asking for them to come when he was on his deathbed. So we know there is some sort of reconciliation that takes place. But what can we learn from this today? And let me just say this, though, before we get too far in to all of this, is The one thing that I've learned over my 10 years of teaching here in Baltimore City is that generally whatever I'm teaching on is what we're challenged in that week. Okay, so can I just say this, and then I'm going to say it, and if you agree, I just want you to respond. I hate it when somebody on the stage, before you know what they ask you to say, say, repeat after me. And you're like, I don't know if I want to repeat after you, right? (laughs) Have you ever 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 experienced that? So. I'm going to say this week that the danger is, is that we're going to be tempted to be angry. So if you would agree with me, I want you to respond, I don't want to get angry. Okay, so on the count of three, would you say, 
All right, there are a few of you that really do understand this morning. I could tell by the volume in which you talked back to me. Because here's what's going to happen. You're not going to get angry at a politician this week, which is very likely it will happen, right? <laughs> but you are, you might, it's, it's, it's in that season. But this is what it is. The two in conflict in this particular passage, I would say, would be best friends. This is a younger man leaning into an older man, Paul probably leaning into Barnabas. Barnabas is probably a little bit older than Paul, would be my, my guesstimation. We don't know that for a fact. But they love each other. They have been stoned together, right? And now again, that's not the Baltimore sense of stoning, right? This is literal rocks thrown at them to the point where they were beaten and then the, the crowd thought that they were dead and literally would drag them out of town because they were beaten so severely. So they could roll up their sleeves or take their robe off their shoulders and literally show an audience scars of experiences that they'd been through together. And now they are in conflict with each other. So this week, the conflict that you're going to have that's going to be abnormal is going to be people that you love. Roommates, spouses, um, your growth communities. Growth community leaders, watch out this week because there's going to be a temptation for disunity to set in, people to get upset with one another. There's a bunch of you recently that have gotten engaged sitting in this room. You will be upset at the person that asked you to marry them. All right, that's... Usually normal, but this week will be a little bit abnormal, right? There's so much that's going to be coming our way. We've got to be careful. And I say all this as a warning because I've been down this road. I know what it's like to stand up in front of you and then have to eat my words. Can I just tell you that? I actually, when I was in, I've only visited Chicago on two different occasions. And one of the times I had a chance to go to that really nice pier where the Ferris wheel is. I'm not sure exactly what it's called, but it's near the Bean, which is really cool. But there was a little plate on a, like a souvenir rack, and it said, keep your, your words short and sweet because you'll end up eating them. Um, and that stuck with me for a very long time. I didn't even have to take a picture of it. It's been ingrained in my mind because I have learned that you can eat your words and they taste sour and bitter. I've experienced that even in my work setting. I remember one time I thought I was sending a confidential email to another staff member, and I sent it to the person that we were talking about. Did not go very well, all right? And I had, to, I had to walk back and ask for forgiveness and say to somebody to their face, look, I know what I did hurt you, and I, and I want restoration. And because as, as human beings, we make mistakes, right? Yeah, so what my wife is saying is probably important because she spoke up and said it. Um, we, were, we were doing a staff review, and we weren't just... Well, actually, we, it's not we sit around and just talk about you, right? But it was in the middle of a staff review and trying to figure out how we can love and serve the church better, okay? And so when we are in those moments, we're going to need to realize that we do hurt and harm one another. And it's not, it's, sometimes it's not intentional. It's like we're trying to walk in wisdom, we're trying to walk in understanding, and a lot of times it happens after a big victory. That's why I called out the growth community leaders just a minute ago, because last week was incredibly fun and hugely successful in how we've connected new people to the church. Much like Paul and Barnabas just had a huge victory together earlier in Acts 15, where they got an entire council of people to agree 
that the grace of Jesus Christ was sufficient for Jew and Gentile to give each one equal status, no strings attached. Like, he got a group of people in a room to agree. That's the victory. That's exciting. We probably could not pick a topic in here where we'd have 100% agreement. I hope we would agree that Jesus paid it all together. But outside of that, we might start bumping up against disagreement. Well, Paul and Barnabas had just experienced an incredible victory in the work and the movement of Jesus Christ. And now the temptation was is for them to have a public dispute in front of the church. And so let me walk through this just a little bit more with you. Part of this doesn't sound that harsh. Like when you read the scripture in verse 39, and they, it says that they had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Now, because it's not an exclamation point and it's just a declaration, I could read it and it just kind of be like, okay, it was, it was, it was bad, but it doesn't feel bad. But if you look at the Greek word, and I put it on the screen for you, um, it's a slide for this Greek word. I can't pronounce Greek words very well, but it's that word. Um, but we get a word. Can any of you in the medical field pronounce the, the word that we get from it? Yes, all right. And <laughs> thank you. And some of you are laughing because you don't really um, understand. I am I'm terrible with pronouncing English, let alone letters like this. So, um, but this is a word that I believe in the medical field where we get the English um, or the interpretation of the word is like a convulsion. Is that correct, you medical people? Or am I wrong? Or did I teach you something? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> like, yes, I finally taught our doctors something. Um, but from this, we get a word that's, that's usually referenced as convulsion or running a high fever. Okay, so now just imagine that Luke, who's telling this story, is including it, which I think adds incredible value. But yet what he's saying to the early church in his writings is is that they were red in the face. They were hot. This wasn't Paul and Barnabas saying, no, your mama, no, your mama, no, your mama, no, your mama, no, your mama. That wasn't as middle school. This was an adult fight. This was, this was most likely them showing physical expression of all of this. And I don't want us to downplay that. Because for the early church, this was a truly sorry sight. But the outcome is where I want us to eventually get to today. Because usually what happens in the church today is when leaders have a sorry sight, we don't know how to seek forgiveness and repentance. And then the church, when we do this, many times we just go to another church. And that's not what you find in the book of Acts. There is this commitment to whether you do right by me or you do wrong by me, we're going to pursue Jesus together. I've received grace, and I understand that. I need to learn to be a gracious person. And so rather than us leaving places of conflict, which is what I'm finding is really difficult. So many of us in the room would rather handle conflict through text messaging rather than actually looking the other person in the face. And that is not how we can truly solve conflict. Because we've got to get into each other's shoes. We've got to look at each other with deep understanding and begin to to say to one another, "I, I love you. Where is this tension coming from? Why are we angry with each other? Why are we getting hot like a fever? 
And that almost should be like a natural gauge for you and I. Like, as soon as we feel ourselves boiling up, why don't we say to each other before we talk to the other person, why am I so enraged? But we don't in those moments have the discipline enough to say, wow, right now in this temptation, I am boiling over. We just let it out like as if we're some fire-breathing dragon for a few minutes and we're looking to just burn whatever's around us, but yet then we step back like, okay, now I feel better. But everything around you is torched. We've got to be careful that we handle this. But here's something that I think makes this story unique, and this is how I'm going to handle the conflict from this point moving forward. I believe that in this particular terrible moment in the early church, both men were in the right. And this is what makes church conflict so difficult. Because the majority of people that argue in the church are arguing two rights, two perspectives. You need to work your faith out. No, it's all grace. You know, it's, uh, it, it, the theological argument is, is, is that a lot of times it's like, no, 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 I need, it's the Mary Martha. It's like, I gotta be with Jesus. No, you gotta go make a meal for the homeless. Well, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to, but, and we get into these dis- disputes about the fact that, why can't this person see what I see? And the other person's like, why can't this person see what I see? And then we realize that we're both looking at Jesus from two different sides of loving God and loving others. And then we realize that, wait a minute, in the midst of me learning to love God and love others, sometimes I'm putting tension with the people around me. And then other times, we fail to see clearly. Like, I might be walking towards temptation, and one of my brothers, like Greg or AJ, might call out to me, hey, Ellis, you, you realize that you're heading towards destruction? And I'm like, no, 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 I don't want to go to, I'm not, I'm not heading towards destruction. I'm going out as a missionary. You know, it's like whatever our reasons are, we usually figure out some reason to defend our position. And so here, Paul, I believe, is looking back on John Mark when they were in Pisidian Antioch, which was in the Turkish area, um, which is also near the uh, Iconium, Lystra, and Derby, which is the week that Joel had the scripture read, reading, and he did such an amazing job of reading all these cities. But John Mark made it to the first stop, and then he abandoned them. So this is what Paul remembers. Hey, guys, I'm going on a missionary journey. And everybody jumps in line and goes, and then when they're first time they're persecuted in a Gentile area, by Jews and Gentiles alike, John Mark beats it, abandons them. Now imagine, Paul has most likely been beaten with rocks and whatever and has had physical confrontation to himself and has probably been drugged out of town. And he, re- he gets up and realizes that John Mark is gone. Like, why did he leave? Well, he ran home. And so now we find here that he hasn't forgotten that. And here's the thing, because Paul loyalty was really big to Paul. It meant a lot to him. And let me just read for you. I put it on the screen. Philippians chapter 2, 19 through 24. He's talking about Timothy. And this talking about Timothy, I think, shows you what Paul really valued. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see him, how things will go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. 
So I believe that Paul has an expectation of loyalty in somebody that when they go out will take the rocks and stay with him. That will enjoy the meals, whether they have plenty or they have a little, whether the weather's good or the weather's bad. He's like, I want somebody that's in the trenches with me, serving the people, serving one another. And he has a great value for that. But I believe, like I said, both men were right. So let me talk to you about Barnabas' perspective. Barnabas had a perspective in this too, because Barnabas is known in Scripture as the son of what? Encouragement. Can I already give you a foreshadowing of where this is already going just by saying what his name is? To Barnabas, it's grace, and it doesn't matter how many times you failed him, he's going to be like, come on, let's try it again, right? There's also um, this idea that I believe for Barnabas where he had seen John Mark do some really good things, and he's wanting to fan it into flame. John Mark most likely was actually a relative of Barnabas. If we were to look at Colossians 4.10, I believe the accurate interpretation for us would be that he'd be a cousin. And, and I think we fail to see many times in the early church that a lot of the people were doing the work, whether in Jerusalem or in Antioch or other places around the world, were doing it in the family context, which I think is beautiful, when uncles and cousins and aunts and brothers and sisters and fathers and sons can do ministry together. It's rich. It's exciting. I think it adds proof that the tomb is empty and Jesus is alive when there's unity even amongst blood. And so Barnabas's perspective is, come on, cuz. You know, let's, 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 let's do this right. Come on, you, you abandon us. Can you make it at least two stops on the next journey? Let's make it at least two stops, right? The forever encourager. I also believe that Barnabas was probably super encouraged by what had just happened in the council. And to his perspective, the slates were clean. Like we have gotten through conflict. We've gotten through discouragement. And now let's keep moving forward. So Paul had an experience with John Mark where, wait a minute, we're going into really hard places, and I know that people need to stick with it. Barnabas had been to all those same hard places, and he was constantly like, well, you know, you at least got hit with one rock. Now, next time, can you go for two before you run, right? I mean, that's just the different personality, right? The different spirit in these two men. And so what I believe here, too, is that the worst discouragements happen between people, both people that believe they're right. Those are the most discouraging, many times the most heated. Just think about the, the most heated conflicts that you've had with people recently. It's generally with people, many times somebody that you are roommates with or somebody at your work where the relationships are deep. And next thing you know, you both are lit up because you both think you are Right. And it's very likely at some level that both of you are right. But yet what somebody needs to do is to say grace wins in this conversation. Why are we so heated? I also believe that this conflict was happening at a time which, we're, which in January we're going to be going through the book of Galatians in a time of prayer and fasting but in Galatians chapter 2, it talks about the conflict that necessitated this council in Jerusalem. And I believe that Paul and Barnabas are dealing with the tensions of all of that, even though they just experienced a great foundational moment with the Jerusalem council. I think in Paul's mind, 
And, I, and I, this is for some of us in here. And the slide actually says this. There may have been not just a shadow, but a dark cloud in the back of Paul's mind. Let me just let that rest with you just for a moment. Because this is one of the biggest relational struggles that you and I have. Is trust. And when we do something towards each other, even when we ask for forgiveness, the thought is still in our head. It's really hard for us to cast that away and totally forget it. So if somebody close to you has lied to you or somebody close to you has in some ways taken or stolen something from you, whether it's a tangible stealing, like they took your shoes out of your closet, or if it was something different, they stole your time, they stole your attention, whatever it might be. Maybe they took something from you sexually that you felt like you shouldn't have had to offer to them, but they took that from you. When we do those things to one another, it's not like the person comes up to you and say, please forgive me. And you're like, okay, and then you walk away like it never happened. Right? That's, that's a reality. That's why so much of the New Testament talks about us fighting for what's right, fighting for what's pure, fighting for what's noble and just and meditating and thinking on those things. Why? Because it's not natural for us to push towards what's true. It's natural for us to dwell on what's harmful. That's the sin nature that's within us. And this is exposing to us in Paul that he's holding a grudge against John Mark that he needs to make right. Because Barnabas and others obviously think John Mark is growing in his faith and he's growing in his love for the Lord. But yet Paul is keeping this cloud of doubt in his head like he's not able to go and do it again. Why take him in the first place? Would he be able to trust him? I think Barnabas, if we could indulge this conflict just for another minute could also be looking at it slightly different. Now, most of you in this audience are, are, are in a similar age range. I would say mid-20s to mid-30s, and then there's a few of us that top you um, in age by a little, and some a little bit more. Um, but, yeah, and I know, now I was waiting for Bob to be like, yeah, so I'm four times older than everybody else right now. I'm, I don't want to pretend like I know what was going on in Barnabas's mind. So what I'm about ready to say to you might reveal more about myself than it really reveals about Barnabas. But if I was Barnabas, I've had younger pastors work with me. I've had people that I feel like I went in some version of a way to a Tarshish and was patient with them and then brought them with me to Antioch or Jerusalem or to Baltimore and we worked together but then there's moments when the ones that we've invest that you feel like you've invested in then stand up to their mentor and say, ah, I don't agree with you. And it, it creates tension. And if we're prepared to handle it, it can be a beautiful thing. But if you as a leader feel like every time somebody says, ah, I, I'm now able to lead my own and I'm not sure I want to follow exactly in your footsteps anymore, it's painful. It's difficult. And so I think here in this particular passage of Scripture that Barnabas might be thinking, Paul, remember, um, you've been my protege. Like, Why aren't you just taking, like, don't I get the final word in this and John Mark is just going with us? 
Wasn't I the one that took you to Jerusalem the first time and introduced you as a trustworthy communicator of the gospel? When you had been killing everybody, I stuck my neck out for you. This is what Barnabas had been through with him. Barnabas was actually the leader on the first missionary journey that Paul went along with him. And then somewhere along the way, Paul became the more outspoken one, but Barnabas was still on the journey. And could it have been through the power of the Holy Spirit that Barnabas was saying, okay, Paul, it's now your turn. That it wasn't Paul taking the reins, but Barnabas maybe was giving him the reins. And this conflict was arising between them. I think that if it was me in Barnabas's shoes, I'd be like, Paul, you owe me a little bit better than this. Look at what you're doing in front of all these people. You're challenging me when, you know, I was the one that graciously met you and brought you in. And now I'm saying my cousin's ready to be graciously and met. And you're now challenging me. Do you maybe now begin to get a sense for why almost every letter in the New Testament that was written to the early church told them to continuously be in prayer? constantly be in prayer, never let your prayer life stop because what ends up happening when you and I bump up against one another and there's tension, somebody in the relationship has got to say, God, you're in this conversation. What pleases you now as we deal with this tension? What honors you in the way that we begin to move forward? Luke's theme throughout all of this is grace. Grace is what Luke has been talking about nonstop in his letter up to this point. And so is it not shocking that at the end of Acts 15, that they are now being tested to practice the same grace between each other that they're telling Jews and Gentiles to practice towards one another? The grace is, after all, the one theme in Luke's journey. So if grace can be applied, let me just tell you what God can do. God can take our Psalm 7610, where God who makes human wrath to serve his praise has done it, I feel like, again. So Psalm 76 talks about how God can take this screwed up way that we interact with each other and do something special, because now two missionary journeys come out of this. Now, I I don't believe that God wanted the two of them to fight so that there could be two missionary journeys. I could imagine that there may have been something special that could have happened that God could have done that maybe was four missionary journeys had Paul and Barnabas handled this the right way. So we can argue and disagree and get hot under the collar about biblical interpretation of all of this. Or we can just say, look, God knows that we're sinners. He knows that we are in need of his grace. And when you and I make mistakes, he can make up for it. So we can harm each other. We can say wrong things to one another, and we can do our best to reconcile it, to get the dark clouds of distrust removed, and so that we can walk more fully together with one another, because God has proven that he can do that with us humans, his created handiwork. He can work his will and way out in us when we make great mistakes. So two missionary journeys go out from here. Barnabas and Mark go off to Barnabas' native Cyprus and began to consolidate the work there and began to do some special things that we'll read about in Acts in a little bit. But Paul takes Silas, and Silas is a Roman citizen. This is a unique character that is now thoroughly going to be thrust into the remaining part of Acts, and we'll find that he's mentioned in 2 Corinthians 1.19, and it's possible that the, the mention of this particular character in 1 Peter 5.12 is this one, but we're not 100% sure. But yet Paul and Silas set out to go and gather up the churches that they had already planted and and see how they were doing and encourage them, but the trip got changed. 
they end up stepping farther and farther into Roman Empire control. And I believe that God wanted Paul and Silas together. Because Silas becomes an invaluable voice as the good news of Jesus Christ goes to more and more places as they began to follow after the Lord together. So I don't believe that we get an excuse for our human wrath. I just want you guys to understand that. One of my pet peeves, which I will just say to you, I believe this story brings to better picture, is I do not believe that you and I have the right to say to another human being, well, that's just, just the way that I am. We don't have a right to say that. Because if that's true, then we are acknowledging that we're a sinner and we're comfortable staying that way. In Jesus, we are made new. We're not like made a little bit better version of our old broken self. We get a chance to go from being like Ellis if we let the Spirit to being like Jesus. So when I'm poked and prodded against my personality flaws, if I let the Spirit work in me, where anger would be expressed, compassion could come out. Where um, rage could want to come out, I could be gentle and kind. Because that's what the Holy Spirit does for us. It creates us new, not just better versions of ourselves. It makes us new. So God can take the greatest human folly and sin and bring good about. But we don't need to go around just saying, well, this is the way that I am. We need to be careful of that. And so as we begin to just kind of move towards the Lord's table today, I think it's important for you and I to say, who am I in conflict with? Where is the conflict? And then once we identify that question, then we need to look at the Father in heaven and say, Father, this is where my conflict is. What do I now do? And we stay in that posture until we know what the Lord wants us to do. And then we stay a little farther in that posture until we know what the Lord wants us to do and we have the courage to actually step out in obedience to make it happen. I think that there's some of us in the room today that are probably in the midst of some conflict. And maybe one of the best things that I can do right now is just to pause for about 30 seconds and just say, let's just force the silence on us and just say, Lord, what do I do with my conflict? Who and how do I address this? Let's just be still just for a moment and ask the Lord.